morning, Grand Point. Great to have you here this morning. Before we do our scripture reading, I want you to hear from Aaron Zebart. Uh, Aaron is one of our ministry partner directors uh, from Joyelle Ministries. Just returned from a part of the world that I want him to tell you about and what God's doing there. So Aaron, tell us a little bit about yeah, your recent thank trip. Thank you. Yeah, just a few days ago, I got back from Belarus. Uh, Belarus is a country right next to Russia. It's been part of the Soviet Union before that country collapsed. For the last 11 years, once or twice a year, I've been going over to Russia to help equip Christian camping leaders and a lot of things that we do at Joy Evangelism and Discipleship through Christian camping. Of course, when I was there a year ago, the question was, is there or isn't there going to be a war? Well, two years after, or two months, two weeks after that started. And as I've been here now this year, the thought was, do I or don't I go again? It's not as easy to get there. In fact, the, the leaders of the conference decided they couldn't do it in Russia for a variety of reasons, so they moved to Belarus this time. And so to get to Belarus, I, I had to go through Germany to Istanbul, Turkey, and from Turkey there, I would fly up into Belarus. Why? Because, well, sanctions have cut off direct flights from the West. As I was about to born by plane in Istanbul, uh, the gate agents were looking through my passport for my visa. And they said, you don't have a, a visa to Belarus. And I said, you're right. And I don't need a visa to Belarus. I, I showed them all the information I had. We looked at the Belarusian government website together and it confirmed, sure enough, I don't. But they said, yeah, we have all the same information as you do. But uh, last night uh, we boarded an American. He went there and he was denied entry. Turns out, uh, you know, well, things change and, uh, uh, one of the consequences of war, and we understand politics, is the Belarusian government decided they're going to make it a little bit harder for Americans to get in. So the question was, am I going to be able to go and teach? They're really counting on me at the summit hour. And so what do we do? We just got people praying. Uh, it takes on average two, usually five days to get a visa. And if I got my visa in five days, well, most of the conference would be over. And so I sent out to my prayer list the need for prayer for this thing. And it was kind of exciting as I, I was waiting in, in Turkey. I got emails and texts and uh, Lawrence texted me, hey, we just prayed for you at the 815 service. And just to hear and to know people were praying through this. Uh, God, God uh, worked through all of the details, and uh, my visa was actually completed in 23 hours, uh, not the two or five days of story that, that really only God can, can do. You know, a lot of times when I take these missions trips, so one of the things I enjoy is that when you're out kind of on the edge of faith, you get to see God move in, in amazing ways that you wouldn't normally see him move. Uh, one of the things that was different about this trip this year is that many of the young men, like 30 and below, who would normally have been at this conference weren't there. Uh, some of them have been sent to war. Their lives have been lost in this last year. Uh, some of them are uh, on extended vacations around the world waiting to come back if they ever will to their country uh, of Russia in, until this war is over. Uh, some of them have been sent to Siberia for refusing to go into war. But one of the things that was happening is uh, at a lot of the metro stations in Moscow and St. Petersburg, uh, the recruiters uh, were just gathering up people on some days. If you looked like you could fight, you were just taken and you have been conscripted to this war. So I was in Bresk a uh, uh, part of the time, Minsk, and then I went down to Bresk. In fact, uh, uh, amazing act of God, I, I took a 
additional opportunity right at the end uh, to do some additional teaching for one of the guys who had been in my classes before. He said, would you please come and teach? So uh, on Saturday night, he thought that I would be teaching uh, 20, maybe 30 college-age students who are kind of young ministers, uh, in the God, not like formal, but you know, just people like you and me uh, who want to serve the Lord. He was expecting 20 to 30 to show up. Well, 200 showed up that night. Uh, yeah, for and it was supposed to. It was scheduled for three hours. He said, but if you only go three hours, they'll be disappointed. Okay, yeah, yeah. So when I was trying to wrap it up, even after that, uh, you know, they said, hey, we have questions. All right, all right. You know, so the questions were all like, you know, uh, these guys, one of the things I noticed this time, the, the, the students over there, like the believers over there are hungrier than I've ever seen ever anywhere normally. But this year, like the spiritual hunger has been dialed way up. Uh, the church that I was at in, in Brest is regularly participating in refugee ministry. In fact, the home where I stayed normally has Ukrainians who are going through there. The church often houses uh, weekly 30 to 40 Ukrainian refugees who are processing through there. So I came in the next morning and I, I spoke at the church and the place was packed. There was over 400 people, they told me. I mean, every, you couldn't see an empty spot. Uh, the balcony was all full. The choir loft behind was packed with people. People were standing kind of in all the entryways, just hungry to hear the gospel. Oh, and here's what they told me. This, this is encouragement for Lawrence. They said, uh, we're supposed to end at noon, but if you stop at noon, everyone will be disappointed. So go well beyond that. And uh, so there's something. I don't know what it is about us Americans and our shortness for this. But here's where you can pray, and here's what the, the believers there are praying. They're praying that their leader of Russia will be removed. They said this war is not going to stop until he is removed, and they're asking that you would pray with that. So time after time, we saw God move. I'm thankful for your partnership. I'm thankful for your prayers. And uh, now I would like to read our scripture for today. It's from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, and let's hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Aaron. Are you beginning to sense a theme here this morning? Chris talked about in the 11-day worship service, right, out at Asbury. Aaron's talking about, man, at least go till noon or beyond, or I don't want to disappoint anyone here today, so 
Hang on, here we go. Hey, welcome into the house here this morning. It's so good to have you here. If you have not been with us either in person or online uh, at all, we're in a series right now called Much Fruit. And uh, the reason that we're talking about this is because this is God's desire for us. God desires for you and me to bear much fruit in our lives, and we wanna do that. And uh, so maybe we're not going to be here for 11 days or maybe even three hours but I wanna make sure that when you leave here today, you're still abiding so that it never stops. Your worship, uh, your service to the Lord never, never stops. See, it's more than just this once a week kind of thing, right? It's, it's just constantly abiding in who he is. Well, before we jump into our message, let me remove the big elephant from the room. Yes, I recovered from last week's game, no problem. I, it wasn't, wasn't a devastating thing for me. Some of you are pretty happy that uh, turned out the way it did. And I didn't, uh, didn't wear the jersey again today. But anyway, uh, we're going to be talking about much fruit. And uh, one of the things that uh, we identify in that scripture, and I know that we've used that scripture many times throughout this series I chose to use it again this morning because it is loaded with life lessons. John chapter 15 is loaded. We're gonna unpack one of those life lessons again today. But in terms of review, and just to summarize where we've been so far, John chapter 15 opens with the words of Jesus saying, I am the true vine. Now, he uses this imagery to define who he is, to, uh, to give us a description that's not unusual. He says other places in John, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. Now, this was not Jesus like losing it and kind of thinking he's an object, right? No, this is, this is Jesus saying, this is who I am, and he's using all of these things that we know and understand, and at the end of it, when we work through all that, we discover he's all we need, right? He is all that we need. And uh, we're actually gonna pick up and do the message series on the I am's of Jesus right after this one. But today, I wanna just go back to that phrase where he says, I am the true vine. Now, for Jesus to say that he is the true version of something means that there had to be an old version. There had to be a, a false version of what Jesus is now claiming to be. Let me give you a, a hint as to what that might be. The vine is what God used to describe his people in the Old Testament. You can read Hosea, you can read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, and all of these Old Testament scriptures, and you'll discover that the people of Israel were referred to as the vine or, or as the, the vine the vineyard. Psalm chapter 80, the people are saying to God, uh, you brought us out of Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the nations and you transplanted us into your land. Now, some of us know the story of the children of Israel, God's people. They were taken captive into Egypt, right? Where they served under slaves. Their life was hard. God in his mercy brought them out of Egypt and took them to this promised land. He planted them, replanted them in this place where they would produce much fruit. And, and so that's what Psalm 80 uh, is all about. So the grapevine in Jewish literature, for the most part, was a reference to the people of Israel. They were God's select people, and, he, and this, he's referencing their rescue from Egypt, out of slavery, brought them into a new land, planted them as a vine. He says that he went into the land before them and he removed everything. He tilled the soil or cultivated the soil, which was our lesson last week. He cultivated that soil. He removed the rocks 
right? That was the enemies. That was the people that were in the land. And he placed them there and brought them into this new land and planted them as a vine. So he went before them and, he, and, and they were supposed to grow and multiply and be fruitful. But the story of humanity is God plants, but it never results in what he wants, God plants, but it never results in he wants. In Isaiah chapter five, there's a passage of scripture called the song of the vineyard. And he says in this, he says, I planted this vineyard, right? I planted these people in this promised land, this fertile land, and I expected and I hoped for sweet grapes. But after I planted them, I circled around sometime later and I came back and discovered that their grapes are bitter. All the vineyard produced was bitter grapes, And then there's this line in Isaiah where God says this. He's like, what more could I have done for my vineyard that I've not already done? This was not God, by the way, just admitting that he didn't know what to do anymore, that he was a failure or that he just was kind of at a loss for what to come next. No, this was God saying, I've done everything for my people that would enable them to produce sweet grapes, to bear much fruit. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So God is like, I don't know what more I can do. Now, if you want to know the heart of God, you can just read the scriptures and you'll see this over and over and over again. God rescues his people. He plants them. Their walls get taken down. They become exiles. God brings them back. He plants them over and over again. And uh, so God is like, I don't, I don't know what more I can do. Well, the more that God can do is Jesus. The more that God can do is Jesus. Now, this is beautiful. And I, I want you to see this because it's going to get to the point of John chapter 15. But in the course of history, when God's chosen people, his vineyard, were not producing the fruit that he planted them to produce, God sent Jesus. And God is answering his own question. What more can I do? He's answering that question in the life of Jesus. So Jesus comes on the scene, right? He's born. He comes into this earth, right? To live among us. And he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Everything that God expected from his people is finally found perfectly in Jesus. The life that Israel was supposed to live. And I might even add the life that you and I are supposed to live, but we, we completely miss the mark over and over and over again. All of that was now met in Jesus. God said, I'm sending my son into this world and I'm going to plant myself. And out of that, I'm going to produce the true vine and I'm going to produce the good vine. And the amazing thing is, the really good news about this is that when Jesus came, he was in essence saying to all of us, listen, it is not up to you anymore to fulfill all the law. It is not up to you to produce righteousness on your own. All you need to do now is abide in me, connect to me, and I will produce that through you. Jesus is the difference between what you cannot do and what God wants to do through you. And that is good news, isn't it? And that completely shifts though and shapes who we are and how our relationship connects to God. Let me just review the relationships real quick from John chapter 15. Number one, Jesus is the vine. Number two, we are the branches. And number three, God is the gardener. Now, every single one of those people have have a role to play. The role of the vine is to produce, don't miss this, the role of the branch is to abide. It is to abide. 
Now listen, we might look at that list of the fruits of the Spirit and all the other fruits of righteousness that we're supposed to bear, and we say sometimes, man, I'm gonna go to work on this. I'm gonna work on patience. I'm gonna work on self-control, and I'm gonna work on you know all this and, and, and that. But listen, instead of you doing the work, your role is to abide in Jesus. He'll do the work through you. So you abide in the vine, and he produces the fruit. Now the role of the gardener is to cut or it is to prune. Now, I've never worked in a vineyard. I've never been out to, uh, to a vineyard, but I've talked to someone last week who did the uh, Adams County uh, Wine Retour, and they learned a lot about this, and I read a little bit this week. But Robert Murto, he's a grape grower in uh, Yawn Hill uh, County, Oregon. He says this. He says, pruning is the single most important job that you can do in a vineyard. Pruning. What eventually ends up in a bottle of wine starts with pruning. And it, it, is a, it is a job that must be done carefully. If not, it could bring damage to the vine. Another grape grower in Oregon says this. He said, Dick Shea says, pruning isn't something that seems to intrigue people, but it is absolutely critical. It's integral to the quality and the quantity of the grapes. When I was a student at uh, Dallas Seminary, I worked full-time uh, at the seminary as well. And part of my job was to take care of the grounds. And at Dallas Seminary, they had uh, part of the landscape was about 20 to 25 uh, crepe myrtle trees. Uh, some of you might have them in your landscapes now, but it's primarily a southern uh, plant. And so that was part of the seminary. And I had to learn how to prune crepe myrtles. If you know anything about crepe myrtle, it is one of those multi-trunk uh, plants. So there's all these different trunks that kind of come out of the ground to form this tree. Well, when I pruned these trees, I would make sure that there were only three to five trunks that came out because I wanted this tree to be shapely. I wanted it to uh, kind of go up and then produce the flowers uh, above it. So I would cut off the trunks or the suckers that were going to turn into trunks eventually. And then I would trim off every branch from the five foot mark down below. I would trim off every branch that was starting to grow out because again, I wanted the tree to grow up and produce the flowers. Now the branches above, uh, the towering branches then, sometimes they would grow out and they would, I'd cut off the ones that grew in toward the center, cut off the ones that were overlapping each other and, and just did that careful pruning because I wanted the flowers just to produce. So you can see behind me, that's my handiwork. Said I did that. Actually, that's God's work. I like to think I had a part of it because I did the pruning. See, see, fruit or flowers, whatever it is, and you have had your own experience with pruning as well, and you know it has to be done right. There's a technique, and there's also a timing. So I learned the technique. When you prune crepe myrtles, it was late winter, and you cut them back quite extensively. So when we moved here to Chambersburg, uh, I, we had these uh, big lilac bushes at the gable end of our house. And some of you who live in our development perhaps know that. So I thought, well, I'm going to prune them the same way I did crepe myrtles. And so I, I pruned them in midwinter. You're supposed to do it in the spring. And I, I cut them way back, and you're not supposed to cut them back much at all. I killed them. I totally killed them. The technique was wrong. The timing was wrong. I just had the wrong species, right? And so the thing is, every species has its own pruning technique and even timing uh, that it works into. 
Penny loved those bushes. She has forgiven me, but she has not forgotten. So it keeps coming up over and over. Now I'm looking for a season to plant a new lilac bush. So anyway, now translate this principle of horticulture uh, to uh, the Christian life. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in John chapter 15, when he says, my father is the gardener and he cuts and he prunes. That's what the gardener does. First of all, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so there's no exemptions, right? Either you're not bearing fruit, you're gonna get cut. If you are bearing fruit, you're gonna get pruned so that you can bear new fruit. Now, remember, Jesus is talking about the vine we're the branches. He's not talking about horticulture. He's not talking about grapevines. He's talking about us. He's talking about his relationship with us. And here's the question. Why does God do this? Why does the master gardener go about this cutting and pruning? Why doesn't he just let us grow however we want to, go whichever direction that we want to, uh, produce as many different sprouts and, and activities as we want to? Because because there's four reasons uh, why he prunes his children. And, and I want to work through these this morning. First of all, the bottom line is he wants us to bear more fruit. So he is going to prune us, number one, to remove what's dead or dying. That's what he does. Now, as you abide in Christ and as you receive from him, there will be things that you no longer desire in your life that you once desired. As you grow closer to God, as you grow closer to him, there's going to be things that begin to die in your life. So on Thursday of this week, Penny and I were sitting in my office uh, waiting for premarital counseling to, to happen. We had a couple coming in for premarital counseling. And we're sitting there in the office. We just met here. So we were having dinner together uh, at my desk. And as we were eating, someone from Regeneration Ministry came down the hallway, saw that we were in the office, and she popped into my office and pulled out a chair, sat down. I said, listen, we're eating dinner right now, but it's okay if, if you don't mind if we eat. And she said, I don't care. I just need to tell you about what happened in Regeneration. So this woman came in. Her face was aglow. She was excited. And she said, in regeneration, we have been talking over and over again about releasing our cares, releasing our anxieties, and turning them over to God. And she said, a couple of weeks ago, I just decided to do that. Now, I've known this woman for a long time, and I know that she was one of those people who self-admittedly said, I like to control things, right? I like to control my life, and if it doesn't go the way I want it, if it's not within my control, I tend to worry about it, and I have all these anxious moments and these thoughts. I suffer from this anxiety, and she said, I just decided to release all that to God, and she said, my life has been changed. She said, quote, I now have a peace that I have never, never known before in my life. And her face was aglow in a way that I've never seen it before. By the way, that's what regeneration is. It is a new beginning. It is a new start. If anybody here is looking for that in your life, I encourage you to come out Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m. because it is working, right? And this woman says, I just released this to God and I've never known peace like this before. And it was a beautiful thing. Now, I know that God is, or that Satan is going to work in that and he is going to try to come at you. But listen, worry and anxiety are dead branches. And I'm sitting there thinking, listen, God is pruning this woman and he's taking away some of these dead branches. And when God removes dead branches, it's for the purpose of making space for something else to come into your life. And if he removes worry and anxiety, he's going to replace it with peace. It's exactly what happens. 
Worry and anxiety are dead branches that God wants to prune from your, lovingly prune from your life. It's exactly why Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you're gonna put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he uses another earthly analogy. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, neither do they, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of course you are. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? This is God saying, listen, it's a dead branch. It's not gonna add anything at all to your life. Your anxiety, your worry does not change things. And, and when you are anxious, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. And here it is, most of us know this verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Listen, you need to know that a willing cooperation with the gardener in cutting and pruning what is dead and dying will create space for new things to grow in your life. And so if you want peace, if you want joy, right? If you want love, if you want to bear these fruits of the spirit, no doubt God is going to have to prune some other things out of your life in order for these things to grow. Don't be afraid of that. Don't resist that because it's exactly what the loving father, the loving gardener will do in order to produce new fruit uh, in your life. James, uh, James asked the question too in James chapter 14 or two verse 14. He says, what good is it if someone has faith but does not have works? Faith by itself uh, is, or, or faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. It's a dead branch. Now over in Ephesians, uh, chapter two, uh, there's also this verse that talks about what your life was like before Christ entered it, right? Before you invited him into your life, before you entered this life of faith, it says this, and you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sins. Trespasses, sins, they're dead branches. They're not, they're not going to produce any life in you. No life at all of righteousness, in which you once followed, in which, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. See, all this is saying, listen, in and of ourselves, our nature, our human nature, which is a sinful human nature, it produces dead branches, Right, And what God wants to do, lovingly wants to do, is prune those and cut those off so that, or cut those off so that there is room uh, for, for the right fruit to grow. One of the first things that God will do is to remove what's dead or dying to provide space for new things. The second reason uh, why he prunes is to remove what's infected or diseased. This is a little bit different than just being dead or being cut off. In fact, 
prune is also translated at times cleanse or to clean, which he says in verse three, you're already clean. So in some ways, pruning is just a matter of cleaning up or cleansing uh, what is already there. See, an area that is sick will never, never grow to its full potential. Until it's healed, it will always be bound and restricted in some ways. Some of you know that when you have surgery or when you have a cut, there's a tendency at times for infection to set in. And when that infection sets in, listen, the healing is really not going to happen as it should. Things that are infections or diseases in our lives could be thought patterns that were developed all the way back in our childhood. Maybe it was trauma or abuse that was experienced somewhere in your life. It might even be the influences from culture that have shaped our thinking and determined our behaviors. See, all of these thoughts and traumas and influences are the things that the world throws at us and it infects us. Man, it comes at and kind of, kind of makes us sick and it makes the healthy body kind of just, uh, just, just hurt. There's infections there, which is exactly why Paul says in Romans chapter 12 too, do not be conformed to the patterns and thoughts of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, that's the good fruit. That's the much fruit that God desires. So it's like, listen, you got to heal. You got to heal from some of the infections that the world throws at us. Now, this kind of pruning may look like God instructing you to guard your heart and your mind by changing who you listen to, uh, changing what you watch, changing who you take advice from. See, if all you tune in is to the media and to the news, you're going to be fed all kinds of things, whether it's true or not true, right? If, you, if it's just the opinions of other people, it may be uh, from their own experience. And what God says, listen, I want to prune those things from your life, right? So that you can just hear who I am and, and hear what I have to say to you because God is never going to give you wrong advice. In this process of pruning, he might also uh, reveal the roots of your vices or your insecurities or your fears and teach you how to walk in freedom. that's, That's what God does. He wants you to live in this freedom. And it may mean that he's going to prompt you to forgive the person that has abused you. It's not easy, is it? That is extremely, extremely difficult. And sometimes pruning hurts. It really does. But he might call you to forgive the person who abused you. He, he might uh, call you maybe to find love and acceptance in who he is rather than in romantic relationships. Or maybe he'll call you to seek counseling to work through some of the childhood trauma. Listen, I'm telling you, this kind of pruning can be especially painful because it's like surgery. God has to open a wound from the past in order to, for it to heal. That's what a good doctor does, doesn't he? He opens the wounds. It's what you and I permit the doctor to do if we want to be well. Because until we heal, we won't bear fruit. The third reason, perhaps, that God goes to pruning is to remove what's hindering you. This may sound a lot like the first two, but listen, it's not only the bad things. Pruning sometimes is also removing the good things, perhaps, in our lives that keep us from the best. For example... Hypothetically, maybe you have this job opportunity that comes to you and it's a good job opportunity. 
I, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of what you've been looking for and you're looking at this, it has a good salary. And so you think, wow, this new job is going to give me financial security. This new job is going to meet all my needs. It has good wages, it has good benefits, it's good. But then somebody else gets that job. And like, this isn't fair. Like I've been here longer than they have, but I put on, I got my resume in before they did. And you wonder if God doesn't have your best interest at heart, but listen, he does. Because maybe there's something, again, this is all hypothetical. Maybe there's something that you've already, that, that you're also already unfaithful in, in storing the income that you already have. Like, like you're not tithing or you're, you're, you're not investing well or you're ringing up debt over and over again. And God knows that you're not ready to handle more, right? And this is a good thing. He, he's holding you back. He knows it's not wise to give you more because you'll dig yourself, you, you'll dig yourself deeper into the hole. Like you are convinced that if you just had more, you would manage better. But God knows that more money doesn't equal more discipline and God wants you to bear the fruit of discipline and self-control in your life so he will prune those opportunities or those things to keep you uh, from being distracted or from hindering, uh, hindering you from bearing fruit. See, God in his goodness and his mercy has kept many things from us that would hinder us from bearing much fruit. His purpose in pruning is to remove what is hindering us. Just accept that and know that because we don't see that. We think if we just had this or if we just had this or if we just had more of this or, or this kind, that, that it would solve the problems. And God knows, God knows what it would lead to. That's why he's not letting you win the lottery. I don't know if you're even praying about that. Hopefully we, we don't. The second thing is God sometimes will remove us from our comfort zones because the comfortable place is what's hindering you. That's why one of our values here at Grand Point Church is we value God's mission more than our comfort. And we believe that. Is that easy to do? No, I mean, comfort's what we look for. It's what we long for. It's what we spend a lot of money trying to achieve and trying to get into our lives. We just wanna be comfortable. And we think that's the end and goal. But no, sometimes God needs to remove that comfort so that we can bear more fruit. Now, I want you to know today that the pruning from the master gardener is not only something that's applied to individuals. I believe that God also works at pruning his church. Grand Point Church is going through some pruning right now. Now, for those of you that have left here, and again, over the past couple months, it's been Rodney Beisline, Chad Shute, now Kevin Elworth submitting their resignations from the ministry. And... I just want, if for those of you listening in, or if you're going to be talking to these people, please misunderstand. I'm not saying that God is removing dead branches. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. You're not dead branches. God is pruning Grand Point from their lives so that they can bear much fruit at other places. It's a beautiful thing. It's a painful thing for us, but it's a beautiful thing what God is doing in their lives because he's pruning this responsibility from them so that they can go. And I believe that if that is part of the pruning process, then God is also doing something here, which we have yet to figure out. But see, it's a cooperation in the pruning process that is so, so important. So we embrace these painful departures as God's pruning process and trust that he will do something even here that produces fruit as well. 
Sometimes God also prunes us in the form of discipline, uh, where he brings things into our lives that are painful at the moment, but produce amazing results. As parents, we, we know the significance and the importance of discipline, don't we? Uh, we know the value of discipline in our children so that they don't just go this way and that way and all, all, all over the place. We prune their lives so that they grow into these responsible children and young adults, right? We do it and we do it through the form of discipline. Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of our spirits and live for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God The master gardener prunes us or disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, discipline is not punishment. No, it's just God acting out of his best interest for you and and for me by removing all the things that will hinder us from bearing fruit. Well, the fourth reason, final reason I want to give you this morning for this is uh, the fourth reason God prunes is to keep you focused and to keep you on the right track. See, without pruning, a tree's branches will grow in any direction. They'll overlap and they'll go this way, that way. They'll go toward the center every direction. There's no focus. And for a season, all these wild, erratic branches can bear some leaves and they might even bear a little bit of fruit and maybe some flower. But, but in the long run, too many branches become more of a burden than a blessing. Now, now remember, I talked to you about my crepe myrtle forest that I took care of. So I pruned them and I had to cut some trunks out of them, right? Because they, they would just go any direction. And uh, too many trunks would produce chaos instead of fruit in that tree. God knows that about our lives. If too many things go in different directions, it's going to end up with a life of chaos, You're not really going to accomplish anything or do anything well because you've got too many things going on. In her book, Quieting the Shout of Should, author Crystal Stein, who's also our communications director here at Grand Point, gives readers, now now this book is written primarily for women, but I'm telling you, anyone can glean from this and learn from it. But in this book, she does this beautiful job at uh, talking about how, how a life of less can actually lead to more. Less is more. I think most of us know this, but sometimes it's so hard to practice. See, we, you know, you know, we, we sometimes think that being busy is this badge of honor. We wear it proudly. But listen, fruit is not born from busyness. It's born from abiding. Jesus never says, listen, if you want to be my child, like if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a disciple, j- jump into as many things as you can. Do this and this and this. No, Jesus says, I just want you to abide in me. See, now, I, I don't know that it's, it's wrong. I, I don't think this means that we sit back and do nothing. I, I think it's okay to, and, and actually good to chase your goals. It really is. Uh, to pursue promotions, to start a business, to grow in influence. You just need to be intentional not to pursue anything unless God is leading you to it. 
See, that's where we get in trouble. We start pursuing things that we want or that we desire and God may not be in it. Then we get too many things going on. Here at Grand Point, we say it is okay to say no. It's okay to say no. It's a good thing to say no. We may ask you to do a lot of things because we value you and you're good at what you do. You're good at a lot of things. But sometimes we just need to learn to say no so that we, may, we can be good at the one thing that we do. Do you remember in Luke chapter nine, there's a story about Jesus coming over uh, to Mary and Martha's house for dinner. So he's coming over to hang out with them for a while and he comes into the house. And uh, we have this picture that he sits down like in the living room and Mary sits at his feet. She's abiding just sitting with Jesus, but Martha's over here in the kitchen. And, and the scripture says this, the Bible says this, she's distracted by many things. She's making dinner, right? And she, I mean, she wants to serve her guests, nothing wrong with that. But she gets so frustrated at Mary, who's just sitting there, that finally she bursts into the room, flower flying everywhere off of her apron. She's like, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work? And Jesus looked at Martha and he said, Martha, Martha, whenever Jesus calls your name twice, man, you're in trouble. He says, Martha, Martha, man, you're distracted by many things. Mary has chosen the one thing that is better. You know, we can make all kinds of lessons and interpretations from that story and I've heard them all, but I believe what Jesus is saying, it's so easy to be distracted by many things. Rather than just abiding in me, spending this, just, just doing this one thing, one thing. I don't know what your day's like. I don't know what your life is like. I can only answer this question for myself. And that is, man, am I, too, am, am I involved in too many things? Do I have too many branches growing in my life right now that I don't have time to abide? I don't have, I don't, I don't, I'm not even producing the fruit that I could. Right, so here's the thing. I wanna end this today by just saying, listen, do not resist the pruning process. See, God's gonna come along and he's gonna, he's gonna remove some things out of your life. Number one, it's the dead branches. He's going to continually work on sin in our lives because as soon as the sin is removed, which is our dead branches, I, I mean, we talked about worry and anxiety. I, I'm not guessing that's a problem for anyone else here. But sometimes that is, you know, part of, part of our, our lives. And he's gonna prune those things so that new things can grow. But for those of you that are bearing fruit as Christians, he's gonna prune you even more, right? So that you can bear even more fruit for him. Do not resist the process at all. In fact, the, the verse in Proverbs chapter uh, three, verse five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Like, like when we lean on our own understanding, man, we just, we think more is better. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Right? Your tree's not gonna grow every direction like a bush and be mangled and, 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 and you know, all, all over the place. No, it's gonna be straight. You're, you're gonna have an objective in life and you're going to produce, you're gonna do something well. And I believe this is a lesson just saying, we have to allow God to prune us. We have to allow God to shape our lives. Prune away the things that would just distract us and make us too busy, make us ineffective. See, he, you know, there's things that we take on that he never tells us to take on, things that will distract us. 
for a while, it may look like we have it all together. It may look like our busy lives are just amazing. And we even like to tell people how busy we are. But eventually our faith is suffocated, snuffed out. The effectiveness, the fruit is, is just killed, right? Surrender to Christ. Listen, take on his yoke. Let him guide you. Let him prune you. Let him bear much fruit in your lives. Do not resist him. It's not comfortable, but it's a natural, necessary part of following Jesus. Isn't that awesome how he works? For you, for fruit. God, I just want to pray over this room right now. Every one of us uh, is, a, is a branch. If we're connected to, uh, if, we're, if we're Christians. And uh, my prayer is today that we would be so, so connected to Jesus that we could be like Mary and spend some time every single day just abiding in him so that a, a revival like begins to work in our lives and begins to work inside of us to the point that we want to keep remaining there, that we want to stay connected. We, want to st we don't want to leave the presence of Jesus. We just know that as abiding in him continually just bears much, much fruit in our lives and it gives us this direction. It gives us this purpose. It gives us this uh, beautiful, beautiful plan. And God, so teach us what it means to abide and help us not to resist the pruning process, the painful process that sometimes takes things away so that less becomes more in our lives. God, prune us and cut us. Do whatever it takes for us to bear much fruit. Amen.